0: What's the biggest problem in America today? Could it be the condition of the church? You know, I've, I've said for many years that my greatest concern is not so much the presence of darkness as it is the absence of light. I've said many times that when I check into a hotel room at night, which is quite frequently, and I go in, the first thing I'm doing is looking for the switch, turn on the light. And when I hit the switch and nothing happens, my, my response is, what's wrong with the darkness? My response is, what's wrong with the light? This is Michael Brown, and you have tuned into the line of fire. Thanks so much for joining us today. 866 truth 866 348 7884 is the number to call. Now, at the bottom of the hour, I'm going to be joined by my friend and colleague, Bert Farias. We don't get to see each other that much anymore, but Bert taught at our ministry school years ago, and we've been friends. He and his wife, Carolyn, Nancy, and I have been friends for many years. And Bert has a new book out that's called Cleansing the Temple, Restoring the Glory of the Lord. And um, it's one of these no-nonsense books that that will really get to the point. And and Bert calls things out fearlessly. So we're going to talk about that. But if you have a call, a question of any kind, anything you've wanted to talk to me about, 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-348-7884 any question of any kind. If you want to interact with me critically, if you differ with me, you'd like to express your reasons why let us know. Hey, I just want to say one thing to a gentleman named Amin, who is sometimes involved in our YouTube chat. As I'm speaking now, there's a screen moving in front of me with comments coming in on YouTube. So I could interact all day, every day, just with YouTube comments. Once a week, we do an exclusive show where I do just interact with your YouTube comments. And if you're a Patreon supporter, you get to view that once it's archived. But there's a gentleman named Amin who was misquoting the New Testament and making wrong statements about the nature of Jesus and things like that. And I assumed, based on his name and from what I could see from a distance, looked like Arabic next to his name, that he was a Muslim. But it turns out that he is a Mizrahi Jew, Middle Eastern Jew, so Amin, if you're out there, now I know who you are. When we interact, I will interact with better understanding. 866-34-TRUTH. I have been interviewed recently about comments that I made concerning abortion in America and a coming civil war. Now, I want to be as clear as possible when I speak about these things. Mississippi is about to close its last abortion mill, abortion clinic, if you like. It's about to close that. That will mean that if a woman wants to get an abortion, instead of, a quote, a back-alley abortion, that she'll have to go outside the state of Missouri. Do I care about the women in Missouri? Yes. But I also care about the babies in the wombs of the women in Missouri, and I'm glad this is happening. Would that every abortion clinic in America was shut down Would that every woman and man had esteem for the life of the little one beginning in the womb. Would that we had more compassionate systems of support for women who, for various reasons, feel they cannot carry this child to term or feel that they cannot raise a child. May we be a culture of life, and that means a culture of compassion for women and for men, and a culture of hope and a culture that values the life of everyone, beginning with, the least of these. I took strong exception to Mayor Pete of South Bend. Burgage, I always say the name incorrectly, the last name. I'll get it right one of these days. But he would not make a public statement about late-term abortion. But that's for the woman to decide. He wouldn't even condemn that while saying, well, one of the most important scriptures in the Bible to me is Jesus talking about the least of these. And he applied that to immigrants, even illegal immigrants, but not to the baby in the womb. Not to the baby in the womb. What if Roe v. Wade gets overturned and things are pushed back to the states? What if that happens? I believe that there will be a violent uprising against the pro-life movement. We see already, we see already that pro-lifers standing peacefully, sharing the gospel, offering hope, standing in front of abortion clinics, they have been attacked. They're increasing accounts of these. Several, I can think of at least three off the top of my head. One with an older man, Two with people of of younger age, they've been physically attacked, hit, kicked, thrown to the ground. Uh, What happens if abortion on demand is pronounced illegal in America? What if that actually happens? Obviously, the first thing that would happen is that you'll have pro-abortion states and pro-life states. You'll have a massive division over that. Will it go deeper? I don't know. Our calling, though, is not to take up arms. Our calling is to overcome hatred with love, to overcome evil with good. When I talk about a civil war, it's been quoted now and in, 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 in various news outlets, Yahoo News and The Guardian and Independent in England and, and other secular sites. And they're quoting me saying there's going to be a bloody civil war. What they didn't quote me as saying is our job is, is to be people of life who work against bloodshed. But let's understand that the ideological battle is intense. And friends, I get into it in my book, Jezebel's War with America, by the way, by the way. I've never seen a publisher do this. But if you go to Jezebel's War with America.com now, Jezebel's War with America.com, where I connect the dots of the demonic powers at work today, just as they work through Jezebel of old, that same Jezebelic type spirit at work today in America. On every front, we connect the dots. It's a real shocker, probably the most intense book I've written out of the 35 plus books so far. If you will go to Jezebel's War with America.com and then pre order, Pre order on Amazon or wherever else you pre order, you get over $50 of, of free resources. You'll get the ebook free when it comes out. You get the ebook for Playing with Holy Fire free. You get all these other resources. So take advantage of that. But friends, let us not be unaware of the demonic battle we're in. Yes, people are responsible for their actions. Yes, the world is responsible for the decisions that it makes. Each of us individually, whether we're atheists, whether we're theists, whoever we are, Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, Jews, Christians, whoever we are, we are responsible for the actions we take, for the decisions we make. At the same time, we recognize that there is fierce demonic opposition, that there is a real devil seeking to bring about a real destructive agenda in America, and he hates the human race. Yet he specially singles out God's people, but be assured, he hates the human race. 866 348 7884. I will go to the phones momentarily. But there is a quote that I have in Jezebel's War with America. And by the way, I, I, I give you data from the ancient world pictures of what sacrificing children was like in the ancient world, sacrificing to demons, to these false gods they worship. Intense descriptions. I, I cite those, and then I compare that to partial birth abortion or late-term abortion. It's, the parallels are, are shocking, unnerving, painful. But as bad as all that is, as bad as all that is, friends, the bigger concern is the state of the church. And I quote Francis Schaeffer in Jezebel's War with America, who basically said, that every abortion clinic in America should have a sign that says, open with the permission of the local church. In other words, if the churches in America, if, if one tenth of believers in our churches in America stood up for pro life issues, we would see America changed overnight. Oh, the resistance would be intense and there'd be violence against us and and we would reply with nonviolence. But if if one tenth of the Church of America got genuinely involved in pro-life issues. Just one-tenth we would see radical change come to our nation. Yeah, so what's the biggest concern? That abortions are taking place or that the church is complacent? I say that the church is complacent. What, what's the bigger concern? That porn is being produced day and night or that the church is into porn? I'd say that the church is into porn. Yeah, broad statement, but large percentage, at least half of Christians struggle on some level of with porn from everything I've read and a decently high percentage of ministers and leaders. That's not to condemn. That's just to say, hey, if we could clean up our act, think about what happened all around us here. Which which is a greater concern? Which is a greater concern? You've got an earthquake in your city and people are being triaged. There's emergency cases People have to have limbs amputated, people with crushed lungs and crushed limbs and, and, and people needing that, that are dehydrated, that have been trapped, needing intravenous and, and all this. So you've got you've got this calamity. You've got all these victims all around. OK. Which is a greater issue that this has happened or that the roads are blocked and no and no doctors can get there? You say, well, we got to get the doctors there because the doctors can help the patients. The doctors can help these people that we are like the doctors in society. We who have the gospel, we must live it out. If we do, America will be changed. Eight, six, six, three, four, truth. All right. Changing gears. We go to your call, starting with Diego in the state of Washington. What's on your mind, sir?
2: Hello, Dr. Brown. I have a few questions about the um, millennium. Yes. Yeah, as I understand it, it will take place following the um, Great Tribulation, and after the um, Beta Seat Judgment, um, we will have glorified bodies. Um, who else will populate the earth? Will there be any death there? Any unbelievers that survive the um, Great Tribulation? Yes, sir. Sure. Uh, my last question. Sorry.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, my last question. What is the role? Will there be um, the um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation during the millennium?
0: Ah. Okay, so yeah, with regard to whether the gifts of the Spirit will be in operation during what we understand as the Millennial Kingdom, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where that's explicitly addressed. You might say there are implications about the outpouring of the Spirit, but I don't see that specifically addressed. And there is a purpose for those in this era and before that era, because in that era, Jesus will be reigning visibly and and, and operating visibly in that way. So we yes are glorified all believers everyone who is a believer at the time that jesus returns we are glorified and we rule and reign together with him however that works but zechariah 14 says the survivors of the nations that attack jerusalem will enter this millennial kingdom and they will come to worship the god of israel in jerusalem so it could be those that survived the matthew 25 judgment the sheep and the goats Based on how they treated persecuted Christians, how they treated the Jewish people. But yes, the survivors of the nations will then enter the Millennial Kingdom. So they won't enter as saved, but as those that did not openly oppose God. And then during the Millennial Kingdom, there'll still be death. But that will be the exception because people will be living longer. And then at the end, there'll be rebellious.
1: It's the line of fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: All right, I'm I'm holding in my hands, symbolically speaking, right now, a a bow with got an arrow in it, and I'm pulling it back. And yeah, you can see I've never really done this, but I'm pulling it back, and, and the goal is that I want to get pull back as far as possible maximum tension to sh- shoot that arrow out more effectively. All right. That arrow is the line of fire broadcast. That arrow is all that we do on, on, on media, social media video, getting messages out that are cutting edge, that are piercing the darkness with a message of light and truth. And you are the ones helping us pull that bow back. And here's a way everybody can help. If you can put aside pennies a day, maybe 30 something cents a day, Join us over at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Ask AskDrBrown, Brown. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, we've got a link up there. Just click on it, all right? $10 or more per month. Not only do you help us pull that arrow back and reach many, many more people and step into many more opportunities that we have in front of us and many more open doors, but you also benefit as well. You get two exclusive videos every week, a bonus show, edifying, interesting bonus show that I record just for you. And also the exclusive YouTube chat that we do. Once it's archived, you get to watch that as well. Yeah, we're up to seventy nine. We just started it this month, uh, seventy nine. So thank you, and uh, student loan. Uh, thank you for your contribution. I don't, I don't know uh, what that denomination is, what that currency is. Let us know because it's it, it's a thousand something. Uh, but all, that all depends on on what it is. Like you know, you can, some countries a thousand something is like a dollar. So 34 truth. Uh, let's go to Fred. No, we won't go to Fred and Charlotte. Uh, let's go to Stephen in Tampa, Florida. Thanks for joining us today on the Line of Fire.
2: Hey, Doctor Brown. Thanks for having me. You bet. Hey, I have a quick question. I, I live in Florida, and I go to a Bible college down here. And the the Bible school is more towards uh, the charismatic side. And you know, inside the church, um, women as lead pastor or pastoring roles is you know pretty pretty heated right now in opinions. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get your professional opinion, historically and biblically, because you know when you look at First Timothy chapter two, as you know people use that verse a lot and Paul talking in uh, the Corinth about uh, women who were speaking up inside the church, you know, not saying women can't be leaders or anything because Paul addresses many women that he uh, had affiliation with that were great leaders uh, up by his side. And I kind of wanted to get your professional yeah. opinion historically and biblically about what you see about this issue.
0: Yep. So, uh, I've put out videos on this and done whole shows on it. So Stephen, normally when this question comes up, we refer folks to our website, askr Just type in women or women pastors. I've done whole broadcasts on the line of fire about it. And then I have a short video about women being pastors. There's no question in the new Testament that there are women that function in important roles. Just look at the, the women that Paul commands in Romans, the 16th chapter as an example. And, Look at when he speaks to Priscilla and Aquila. He only puts her name first, and the two of them teach Apollos in Acts, the 18th chapter. There's no question they have an important role, and there's no question they can pray and prophesy publicly. Paul addresses that in First Corinthians, the 11th chapter. Now, I'm not going to rehash the other verses only because we've done that, but my understanding, sir, is that the way God set up the family and and that the husband has the role of the head of the home. So there's a responsibility that falls on his shoulders and a weight that falls on his shoulders and a, and a covering and nurturing that he's responsible for. It, even though the wife may be strong and anointed and called and godly and may drive and direct many things in the home, there's that final responsibility that falls on the husband. That's how I see it in the church, that senior governmental authority should be male. I have no question that God raises up people that don't fit the exact mode or mold. I should say he raises up here. I'm charismatic Pentecostal. I have colleagues who are not. We're both called by God. I say tongues and prophecies for today. They say it's not. We have a difference there. I'm certainly called by God. I have Calvinist friends who are certainly called by God. I'm not Calvinist. We have differences there. So the same way I believe God has used women very effectively and very powerfully where maybe a man wasn't available or wasn't willing But I do not see it as a biblical pattern to have senior governmental leadership as female. I see that being male as the pattern of Scripture. Check out the other resources. Hopefully those will be helpful to you. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Bob in Philadelphia. Welcome to the Line of Fire.
3: Hi, how are you, Dr. Brown?
0: I'm very well, thank you.
3: Good. I uh, okay. I uh, want to ask you about this uh, person who's on YouTube. I think you've mentioned him. His name is Nathaniel Katner,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and he pretends to be a
2: Orthodox uh, Russian Orthodox priest. He's not. He was not ordained, and I see that uh, viewers they think he's the bee's need, but. I find him very, uh, objectionable. I, I haven't seen him in, in many years, but he pops up, you know, and, uh, I find he's very negative and, uh, obviously he has some issues. Uh, and I, I wonder if you followed his, uh, yeah. And crazy so it's, behavior. it's, it.
0: it's interesting. Uh, I believe we just got an email from him this week. And that may open the door to further communication. So, so here's here's what I what I do know, Bob. I've not followed him in quite a while. Uh, he is also born Jewish, as I am, and he would say he's a believer in Jesus, as I would say I'm a believer in Jesus. There's let's put aside the controversy: is he actually ordained or not, or what's the standing with Russian Orthodoxy? So let's put all that aside. He's got a substantial YouTube following, and there are views that he espouses that to me echo classic anti-Semitic attacks against the Jewish people. I want to be clear. I'll say it for the thousandth and one time. You can criticize the Jewish people without being anti-Semitic. You cannot believe in the modern state of Israel without being anti-Semitic. That's not an issue. There are lines that you cross where I have concerns. Years ago, I saw one of his videos. I was sent clips from one of his videos. I took strong issue with it. We invited him on the air to discuss it with me. He did not feel that it would be a a fair setting if I remember, thought my position might be too hostile, and because of that, declined our invitation. Uh, I have not addressed him in many years. I do have a video where I address some of his points. But I'm seeing now, as I've been calling out anti-Semitism in the church more and more in in recent months, that 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 video— that I did of, of, brother Nathaniel is getting more attention. And many of his supporters are writing in saying, we agree with him, Dr. Brown, you're completely wrong, etc. If it's true that we actually got an email from the brother Nathaniel, uh, if it's true, it was a polite email saying we disagree, but we have certain things in common. And he thought that my tone was gracious. So we've reached out if it's really him, I asked my assistant, Dylan, to reach out to him and say, hey, why don't you come on the air and let's have a discussion so to be continued. But I've had grave concerns and deep differences for sure. For sure. All right. Eight, 866-34 Truth. Uh, let's go to Daniel in California. Welcome to the line of fire.
2: Hey, Michael Brown. Thanks for having me again. Um so- I've been preaching and uh, hosting a Bible study at an old folks' home out here where uh-huh. I live, and yep. um, I've just been like really on fire for preaching and apologetics and all this stuff. So I wanted to get your opinion on how to enter the world of ministry, and how to get started and all that.
0: Yeah, well, you, you are in the world of ministry. In other words, if, if you put aside the issue of finances and the issue of time, you're doing the work of ministry. I was doing the work of ministry long before I ever received a paycheck for doing ministry or long before I was even officially ordained doing ministry. So what you want to do, Daniel, is keep doing what's in your heart to do. In other words, reach out where you're reaching out, serve where you're serving. And then if you really feel there's more to be done, I, I would give myself to daily obedience. That's the biggest thing. Lord, here I am. Send me, use me. And then God will direct your steps. He'll bring you in touch with the right people. You'll just feel, boy, I need to connect with this ministry. I wonder if I could help them or boy, I really feel I'm supposed to step out and reduce my work hours so I can do more in evangelism or in in other words, you do it and kind of look at it like this. Let's say someone is a bodybuilder and they, and they got this, you know, the shirt with buttons they've been wearing if they keep getting more and more and more muscular, the buttons kind of just will burst. It's going to happen. So what I see is that as we walk in obedience day by day by day and serve the Lord and honor the Lord and take advantage of the opportunities He's given us, we volunteered our church more. We're burning to do something. We make a little video. Now we post it on Facebook or whatever social media you use. And people say, boy, that was really helpful. Can you do another? Or you put out a little blog. And people, wow, man, you're really speaking my language. This really helps me. And then it kind of takes on a life of its own. And then the Lord will lead you. Okay, you need to step into this full time. Or, or a church will say, hey, we would really love to use your services here. Or you'll keep your vocational job for income, but be able to do this more and more. So keep stepping into what you're doing. This is exactly what happened in my own life and in the lives of many others keep doing what you're doing in obedience, serve where you can serve. If you feel other things in your heart, you have the outlet through internet or sitting down with folks and doing a little Bible study or something. And if the Lord breathes on it, if it grows, you might say, boy, I need more training. I need to go to school for more training or I need to work in in this church where I can really learn more. Or that next step will be, Hey, could you serve here? We'd love for you to lead this ministry that we're doing. And then next thing it, it becomes something where, takes more and more of your time, and you end up receiving income for it. Hey, Daniel, we're out of time. May the Lord lead you. Proverbs 16, 3 is a good verse. You roll on the Lord what you're doing today. Your plans will be established tomorrow. God bless you.
1: It's the line of fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: If you went to a school and the kids were completely out of control, running up and down the hallways and painting graffiti in the windows in the middle of the school day, what would your first thought be? Where are the teachers? Where's the security here? What's happening? What's happening? If you went to a hospital and and patients were just laying on the floor and lining up the hallways and no one was being cared for, what's your first question? Where are the doctors? What's going on here? Well, the same way when we look at the state of the church in America, that's when we recognize, oh, okay, America, the society is messed up. Things are out of control morally, spiritually in America in so many ways What's that say? Where's the church? We're the people of God. In other words, change begins with us. This is Michael Brown. Thanks for tuning in to today's line of fire broadcast. My friend of many years, going back to the eighties, Bert Farias has written a book, cleansing the temple, restoring the glory of God. Bert writes with a broken heart. He writes as someone on the front lines served on the mission field with his wife, Carolyn he preaches all over America and has a tremendous burden for the state of the church. When he points a finger, it's at us. And he says, major change needs to come. Bert, thanks for joining us today on the line of fire. Great talking to you.
3: Hey, it's good to be with you, Mike. Miss you, man.
0: Yeah. Same, same here, buddy. Uh, you wrote cleansing the temple out of, out of a real strong sense, a sense of a prophetic burden, where God really gripped you. You've obviously felt this way for many years, that that the Church of America needs to wake up and that the greatest need in America is is for the light to be turned on fully. What gave you this fresh burden now? Why why now did this hit with such intensity?
3: Yeah, I didn't plan on writing this really. um, You know, the last few years since, uh, you know, my wife and I are empty nesters now and we get to pray together more frequently, a lot of the things I'm writing and some of the books even that um, writing have really been birthed in in times with prayer with her, and so here about two years ago, three scriptures just kind of flashed before her. Um, and my wife, I mean, you know her; she's a woman of prayer, and she's yeah. she's been amazingly accurate over the years with these kind of things. What what it is is she she she, there's, she begins to see things or the the revelation wisdom comes in prayer. So she got these three scriptures that just kind of. Flashed before him, her. She spoke them out, and immediately something ignited within me, like a whole message shaped within me. And the scriptures were Acts chapter five, with Ananias and Sapphira, um, and the judgment that came, and then Acts chapter eight with Simon the sorcerer, who was also rebuked for his his iniquity and his um, covetousness for for power. Um, and position, and so forth. And then uh, kind of an obscure, the other verse was kind of an obscure verse over in Acts 19 with the burning of the magic books. And so immediately I knew that the Lord wanted to address um, the greed and the covetousness that's in the body, that's in the church. And we know that, you know, covetousness and greed doesn't just have to do with money, but you know, position, power, popularity—it's—it's it's all rooted in that. And I know the church has—you know—many other issues and problems and challenges. But you know, the Lord—you know—was asking us and burdening us to address mainly this one issue, having to do with the 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 what what is seen in Ananias and Sapphira, and also in Simon the sorcerer, and what is prevalent, especially in America, such a, a materialistic uh, culture that we live in.
0: Now, now, Bert, let, let me ask you this. We are both charismatics. We're both tongue talkers. We both believe in healing and prophecy today. We travel widely in charismatic Pentecostal circles. I, I'd say probably it's 99.9% of the circles in which you travel and, and preach. Yeah. Mine would be a bit more diverse, but, but similar in terms of a large amount of it. So we're yeah. talking in-house now. Do you believe that in our charismatic Pentecostal circles, TV ministries, other things, that we are more prone to merchandising the gospel, manipulating the gospel for money? Or do you think that's just a big problem for the American church in general?
3: No, I think it's definitely more prevalent in the Pentecostal charismatic circles. I mean, the the gain is godliness message has resurfaced in the last you know, few decades, um, or even we teach that, um, I mean, we hear teachings that are quite popular today that Jesus not only died to forgive us of our sins, but he died, you know, to make us all rich and to make us all materially prosperous, and I think that that message um, has been used uh, to merchandise the things of God, and you know as well as I do, because you're more traveled even than I am overseas now, is this, this message is spread into Africa. We saw it as missionaries, and it's worse now than it's ever been. Uh, you've traveled to India, I've seen it there. So I think that's one of the things that we do address in, in the book. It's not all of it, um, because the book deals a lot with, with um, you know, character, uh, holiness, consecration, prayer, these type of things. But this is the central theme of the book is, this, this The gain, I do address that from, you know, different angles, several chapters on it, the gain is godliness message, which Paul refuted and warned Timothy about, and, you know, Jesus. I mean, it's amazing how some preachers today have transformed, you know, Jesus, Yeshua, our Messiah, from a, a, a rabbi who taught, you know, incessantly and warned against covetousness, and how the, the rich would have a, a hard time or those that, that trust in riches would have a hard time entering the kingdom of God into a, 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 a some kind of powerful potentate that wants everybody to get stinking rich. I mean, it, it's amazing how we've transformed a lot of what Jesus said concerning money because he talked a lot about money, and we have to understand that money is not just you know, when it, when the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, it's not it's not just talking about, you know, the paper currency or the coin. It's talking about what money can give you, what money can make you, your identity with money. That's why Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. In other words, you can't identify with both. I think that's a huge problem in the Western church. I think it's a a bigger problem in the Pentecostal charismatic segment of the church.
0: Yeah. And I was, I was scheduled to be over in Nigeria back in, in March. My visa didn't come through in time. Hopefully next year I'll be able to get there, but I, I did Skype in messages and, and the pastors there had lots of questions at the leadership conference where I spoke and they were talking about hyper prosperity message spreading through Nigeria like a plague as the church is growing rapidly. Uh, that's happening. My dear friend in India that I've worked with for 26 straight years, when I asked him, what's the greatest problem for the church in India? Hyper prosperity. And of course, where does it come from? America. And and yet, Bert, in, in your book, Cleansing the Temple, which I've got right here on my desk in front of me, there are four main sections of the book. Uh, the second deals with the worship of mammon. The third, purging and refining of character and the fourth becoming a house of prayer, but you start off with the coming restoration. So I, and, and that's the subtitle of your book, restoring the glory of the Lord. So you're not one just out to tear down your, your spirit, your heart is to tear down error so that Jesus is exalted and the Holy spirit moves freely and the church becomes what Jesus wants the church to be. So let's not lose sight of this. Let's start where you start in the book. Paint a picture of the coming restoration.
3: Well, you know, when uh, when the, even the title of the book, Cleansing the Temple, when that came to my heart, because I, I saw that this is what God wanted to address, uh, you know, Mammon specifically in this book, I went through and I looked at each account in the four Gospels, and that's significant that Jesus cleansed the temple, and there, there are accounts of each Gospel writer you know, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only 8% of what appears in John's Gospel is also found in the other Gospels. So I think it's significant that the cleansing of the Temple is in all four Gospels. And as I studied it out, and this is my understanding, I mean, if I'm wrong, I'm going to have to change a part of the book, but (laughs) there were two cleansings.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems to be like that in in John's Gospel, early in his ministry, and then the other yeah. Gospels later. So scholars debate that, but the most natural reading is that it did happen twice. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And, you know, roughly you have to approximate maybe three years apart. So that's something to tell, too, there, because it's like, obviously what Jesus did externally didn't stick, because the problem three years later was even worse than it was at the beginning of his ministry when he called them a den of thieves so apparently the correction and the reproof and rebuke that he brought to them in John chapter 2 3 years later it's still it's still it's still there and it seems to be much worse so when i wrote the book i studied those accounts and i saw that there's a progression jesus cleansed the temple signifying purity and this is something that i believe the lord is doing right now in the american church there's a purification, there's a sanctification, there's a call to holiness. This has been going on for years now, but I, I see it intensifying. Um, and then once there, there is a purity, then Jesus called them to prayer, to be a house of prayer. You know, we know we have a lot of prayer events, public prayer events, but I, in the book I, I talk about prayer, I talk about the spirit of prayer, and going much deeper and not just having talking about public prayer meetings, which are necessary and very important, but also, you know, believers developing a, a spirit of prayer, an attitude of prayer. And I talk about past revivals of, you know, Charles Finney, one of the greatest American revivalists, and, and his, he had praying partners like Father Nash and Abel Clary, who would go in before him, and a few others that would pray, pray and groan and travail for souls for, for sometimes a week or two before Finney would come, and how we don't see revivals. Of that depth anymore, because we have ceased to be a people that carry a spirit of prayer and a real reverence and consecration for the things of God in that area. So I see the progression going from, you know, the purity, and then and then God calls us to prayer, and then we will see the real power, the raw power of God. I believe in manifestation again, signified by when Jesus called the the lame and the blind unto Him after He cleansed the temple, called it to be a house of prayer. The Bible says that the lame and blind came to him, and he he healed them. So I talk about that. That has to be that progression needs to be restored, and it's not. It's a restoration of not just of the power and glory of God, but it includes uh, the character of the church and yeah. the character of ministry. And I address yeah, and that's,
0: that a lot of the book. That's yeah, that's foundational. If we're to see the rest, what about igniting a spirit of prayer? How, how do we reignite something that's gone dormant in our lives in the midst of this busy distracted world
1: it's the line of fire with your host activist author international speaker and theologian dr michael brown your voice of moral cultural and spiritual revolution get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH here again is dr michael brown
0: I'm speaking with my old friend and colleague, Bert Farias. His website, holy-fire.org. So holy-fire.org. His new book, Cleansing the Temple, Restoring the Glory of God. Bert, you've been a prayerful man as long as I've known you. Your wife, Carolyn, has, has really been a woman of prayer. And again, I attest to that in her her intimacy with God and hearing God in prayer these these many years. But if if I'm totally candid, for me and for many others, even though we pray and seek God and go after Him, it's such a distracted age in which we live. It's such a fast pace, you know, you're getting texted every second, this is going on digitally, you're getting pulled in a lot of different directions, that concentrating in prayer, breaking away, really meeting with the Lord— being rather than doing, it often seems to be the greatest challenge. What would you say, as, as this is such an imperative, I, I met with two young men who teach at a local Christian school yesterday, a Christian high school, and and we were we were talking about uh, revival, and they said to me, what's, what's the key thing? What could you say to us as the number one ingredient necessary for revival? It's spiritual hunger. You've got to be hungry. You've got to be desperate. Without that, you'll never see it. How do we get to that point? How do we recultivate a spirit of prayer and hunger in our lives?
3: Yeah, I mean, Mike, the challenge is is with me too. I mean, I'm traveling more than I ever have, and you know, I'm writing things in the book. And as you know, you're an author; you write things, and you say, "Lord, I'm not. I need help in this area." I'm writing about it and telling people about it, but I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent doer in this area myself. So, prayer is always a challenge because of the age we live in. I think media and technology, and because knowledge has increased so much, with it, pride has increased, you know, conceit has increased, you know, the doing things in our own strength and wisdom is a lot easier today. And I think even the media technology, I know for me, it has a tendency to desensitize me sometimes and numb me yeah, yeah. To, to a deeper, a just a deeper spirit of prayer. And i I made a decision even earlier this year at the beginning of the year I says Lord I have just got to get away where I just take my Bible and a jug of water and I go to some retreat camp for two or three days and that's it I don't take my phone if I do I don't I don't I don't get on it I don't watch TV I don't and I'll tell you that that is I haven't done it yet but it's it's on my list we have to especially as ministers we have to have those kind of times, I mean the early apostles they 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 set themselves apart for prayer and the word, and I know it was a different day, but the Bible says it implies that they made an unbending commitment yeah um because they you know we think well, they just wanted to stay filled up and you know be able to to, to study and minister to people well that was a part of it, but really Mike they wanted to stay in the spirit you know, because they were being challenged by the judgment upon Ananias. The fire had just happened. There's all these widows to feed. And they they purposely told the congregation to elect seven men so they could stay in prayer, so they could stay in the spirit and stay out of the natural realm and all of its distractions. So I would say to people, you know, for me personally, it, it might work different for different people, but I, one thing that I do do, even in my business as I try to pray, and, and we're Pentecostal, we're charismatic, we we speak in tongues, I pray in tongues as often, as much as I can. It's second nature to me now for having done it so many years. And I, I like to take special time apart to just minister to the Lord. I think the biggest part of my prayer life is is those two things, just praying a lot in, in the Holy Ghost, in the Spirit, and just ministering to the Lord. But there's a, a part of the spirit of prayer that I want to press into more. My wife is more given to this, and that's the area of intercession and the groanings and travail that we see in meetings of old. Like I, I my earlier, earlier I referenced Charles Finney and Father Nash and Abel Cleary, these men that prayed with him, and I quote him towards the end of the book because people ask him, you know, how do I obtain a spirit of prayer? And he says this, he says, look at the world, look at your children, your neighbors, and see their condition while they remain in their sin, and then mm. persevere in prayer and effort until you obtain the blessing of the Spirit of God. And then he equates it to a, a a mother that has a sick child. Maybe maybe the child is deathly sick or very sick. That child is on her mind constantly. Even when the child is sleeping, she's not sleeping too well because she wonders if maybe he stopped breathing, maybe he he, he died, and she goes to work and she's still thinking about her sick child. And he said the spirit of prayer and intercession, especially for the lost, is cultivated that way by thinking continually upon the condition of the lost and the lost world. And so I think that's something. And I know the Lord has specifically called people in the body of Christ to the business of prayer where they, they have more time um, to cultivate this spirit of prayer. You know, we we always hear about praying grandmas and praying mothers, people that maybe have a little bit more time and are consecrated to this. Uh, I mean, I've read stories of old about these type of women that would pray, and they would pray in churches into these different towns. They would give birth to souls in their own local churches, and these type of things, these stories that I've heard from men of old. So there's a place where we... We, we're we not going to come into a spirit of prayer without some effort on our part, and that yeah. is, you know, dwelling upon the condition of, of the lost today.
0: Yeah, and, and making that determination to, to make it happen. Bottom line is, we do what's most important to us. We we do yeah. what, what we truth. choose to do more than anything, and we can. And look, the, the thing is, maybe someone doesn't have three hours a day to pray, but the half hour that they could really designate to focus prayer, do they, do we? And I, what I've often found is the more I put God first and seek him earnestly and prioritize prayer in the word, then other things fall into place. It really is like the hours get multiplied or, yeah, or the, so the devourer is, is rebuked. Uh, Bert, we've just got a, a couple of minutes. Uh, folks, get the book Cleansing the Temple by Bert Farias, F-A-R-I-A-S. But in two minutes, you reference Acts 5, you reference Acts 8, these divine judgments, these divine rebukes. Is that something we need to take seriously in the church today to, to understand God's heart and his holy jealousy?
3: Yeah, Mike, I think that's one of the things that's really clearly missing is there's not enough judgment in the church, because we don't think that's positive. Even the truth we hear today, uh, you know, truth can be positive or negative. I mean, the Bible is filled with what we call correction, reproof, rebuke. As a matter of fact, I read a stat stat somewhere where two to one in the Bible, two times more, we see scriptures and content that speak to correction, reproof, rebuke, Mm -hmm. more than the one that will speak of encouragement and exhortation, you know, Paul said, you know, we, we're called to judge. <laughs> you know, we're gonna we're gonna judge angels. We're gonna we're gonna judge this world, and how much more should we judge the state of affairs in in the church? And I think Ananias and Sapphira, it's just amazing that. the greatest one of the greatest judgment miracles is right there at the beginning of acts because something was seeking to get in to kind of defile the church it was a lie but it was a lie based on ananias and sapphire wanted the esteem of man they wanted to be respected they wanted to be known as generous givers so the lie was connected to that it does say that satan came into their hearts to lie. Isn't it interesting that the the church is called the pillar and the ground of truth? Not even a lie like that, what we would call a white lie, could even withstand in the white-hot purity and glory that the early church was birthed in. That's because the apostles and these men had discernment. They judged things. It was by the Spirit of the Lord they did it. But we need more men and women. That's why we need to be in prayer as ministers of God, so we can have discernment and we can have wisdom and we can judge things from God's perspective. So I think that's something that clearly needs to be restored in the church today. Is just righteous judgment and, and judging sin. And you know, Paul said, you know, cast the evil man out from among you, the one that was committing incest with her mother. And you know, all of these things, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And I think that we're not addressing these kind of issues in the church. And what's happened is. These things have just kind of spread,
0: yeah, and you know what's interesting is the very beginning when the tabernacle is built, and then the sacrifices are offered in accordance with the law that God's fire comes and consumes the sacrifices, and immediately after that, when Aaron's two eldest sons offer unauthorized incense, that same fire comes out and consumes them. That's right at the beginning when everything's so pure, but generations later they're they're having acts of prostitution in the temple and worshiping idols. And judgment hasn't come, but when it comes, it devastates the whole nation. The same oh, way in the purity of the early church, and Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira instantly judged. But as generations go on, we just practice and cultivate that, and it seems nothing happens. One of the greatest judgments is the withdrawal of God's presence and judgmentalism and being gossips and judgmental people. That's oh, sinful. So much. But holy righteousness and agreeing with God and saying judgment <laughs> begins with the house of God. That's that's very sobering. So, so Bert, I I pray that, that many will read this book. Uh, You can, you can be non-Pentecostal, non-charismatic and greatly profit from the book. If you identify with the Pentecostal charismatic movement, all the more will you identify with the book. And it's written with a passion for the glory of God. It's not written in a critical negative way. It's written to say there's so much more God wants to do. There's so much he's calling us to be the name and reputation of Jesus are at stake. What will we do in the surgeon hour? So Bert, thanks for joining us and look forward to seeing you ministering together side by side one of these days. God bless, man. Amen.
3: Thanks for having me, Mike.
0: All right. Thanks. The book, Cleansing the Temple by Bert Farians.